Hello, pod people. I'm DA, and welcome to Millennial Edition. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we examine what cancel culture is and if it truly even exists. As always, remember to subscribe to our podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on Twitter to be a part of the discussion. You can also email us your comments and questions at millennialedition1 at gmail.com. Okay, so let's dive right in. So I stream into church service like a good millennial Christian, and the topic of the sermon was about, none other than, cancel culture. And naturally, I'm always curious on how anyone approaches this topic, because at this point, the word is so incredibly overused. And of course, the point of the sermon, if I could summarize what the pastor was attempting to say, was essentially that we should ultimately not be canceling anyone because we have all fallen short, it separates communities, and forgiveness should always be at the center of our Christian walk. I listened to a variety of different pastoral voices, but this particular Sunday I was listening to Pastor Andy Stanley's Community of Churches, and I did not particularly disagree with the notions of forgiveness and acknowledging that we all eventually fall short but I felt challenged by the idea that the pastor felt more worried about this phenomenon named cancel culture that he felt the need to dedicate a whole sermon to it. I tried to see if this same pastor dedicated an entire sermon to something more dangerous to our culture, like racism, and I unfortunately did not find any. Of course, I probably did not look hard enough. But how many Christians died through cancel culture? I can name many Christians who died at the hands of racists though, like the 2015 massacre of black Christians at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina at the hands of a white supremacist. Nevertheless, Andy Stanley posted this following message to his Twitter after the sermon. He said, in quote, Cancel culture lowers the IQ of the entire culture. It lowers our IQ because we are no longer willing to listen to or learn from individuals or groups who don't see, interpret, and experience the world the way we do. Canceling an individual or group produces nothing while undermining a fundamental catalyst for progress, namely the unfiltered exchange of ideas, opinions, and insight without the necessity of anyone always being right. Cancel culture cancels the right to be wrong. quote. Within the same week, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Jennifer Aniston states, in quote, I'm so over cancel culture. I probably just got canceled by saying that. I just don't understand what it means. Is there no redemption? I don't know. I don't put everybody in the Harvey Weinstein basket, end quote. Jennifer Aniston was responding to a recent incident involving Jamie Foxx, where Jamie made a statement about fake friends, which was taken out of context as anti-Semitic. A person online called her out for liking his post, and Jennifer states she stands against Jamie's comments as anti-Semitic. Because members of the black community found Jennifer's willingness to throw Jamie under the bus for a commonly used black church phrase that was not anti-Semitic, she was dragged online for anti-blackness. So there is a lot to unpack with these two takes on so-called cancel culture. But I am happy to report that as of this recording, Jennifer Aniston's net worth remains at $320 million, and she is tapped to star alongside Julia Roberts in Max Barbaco's comedy, Palm Springs. So we can confidently report that Jennifer Aniston is still rich and thriving in Hollywood. 
So in order to dive into this phenomenon, we are going to need to define some terms. And if you are new to the podcast, we like to confirm some definitions so that we are all on the same page. So what does cancel culture mean? Merriam-Webster defines cancel culture as the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. Dictionary.com defines cancel culture as, in quote, the popular practice of withdrawing support for canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive, end quote. So where did this term come from? Well, Insider.com reports that one of the earliest uses of the term appeared in a tweet in 2014 and funny enough, had nothing to do with how it is defined and used today. Television critic and assistant professor at Old Dominion University, Miles McNutt, stated, in quote, it's unfortunate how review cancel culture has made not renewed early read as canceled. Wait and see until pilots come in is normal, end quote. So Professor McNutt was using the term as a way to discuss the culture of networks canceling shows and the fear it invokes when a show is not automatically renewed. Then in late 2014, as reported by CBSNews.com, on a show called Love and Hip Hop New York, Cisco Rosado used the phrase, you're canceled, when his then-girlfriend Diamond Strawberry revealed she had a child. And of course, with the power that is Black Twitter, the term was everywhere. But even in 2014, the term was still being used in jest. It wasn't until 2016-2017 that experts saw a change in the use and frequency of the term because another movement at the same time had taken society by storm, and that was the Me Too movement. When society began to witness the fall of mainly powerful, mainly white men from grace, simultaneously the focus began moving towards what people felt was a culture of canceling, just anyone and everyone, because for the first time in their lives, powerful people who used their platforms to harm others were finally being held accountable, and somehow everyone who had power and privilege became worried. But we must ask ourselves, is this really a new phenomenon? Are we in a culture of canceling people or are we at an inflection point where society no longer wants to tolerate certain harms that keep us from moving forward? Well, let's see if history can provide us with some insight on this. Since cancel culture is being discussed in religious institutions, let's look at examples from the Bible littered with acts of canceling. We know in that time period that pushing people to the margins was a norm, especially for those who were a different culture, had different abilities, disabilities, and women. I mean, the story that comes top of mind is the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. The verse read in John 8, 3, in quote, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, end quote. So this idea of public shaming is not at all a new phenomena, not even close. In fact, Jesus himself experienced a public shaming, the ultimate public shaming, before he was put to death. And as the story goes, at least with the woman, Jesus steps in and saves her life from a stoning, showing us the example of how to deal with people's imperfections and mistakes. More on that later. There were examples, however, from the Bible where disciples were in fact instructed to extract those they deemed as wrongdoers from the church. 
First Corinthians 5 talks about an incident that happened in a church where a son, and I'm not sure if it was a stepson or her biological son, but essentially they began having an affair. And this was Paul's, who at the time was a political prisoner, his instruction to the church. In quote, it is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Let him who has done this be removed from among you, end quote. So I bring this up because even the Bible acknowledges that some acts call for the accountability of people to be removed from places and positions when they have done something horrible. And trust me, no one likes accountability, not even me. No one does if we are being honest. But I recognize that it is an uncomfortable necessity to keep society safe and moving forward in the right direction. It is chilling to see what some people have been keeping in their closets and what society attempts to protect. This is not healthy or safe for anyone. Remember that it was the Bible that said in Luke 12 too, that in quote, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known, end quote. That means that those who are hiding things, it is a biblical principle to expect that the dark things you are hiding will one day be revealed albeit a discomforting thought, but again, as I said before, necessary to keep society safe. So when you see it come to light that the Catholic Church is murdering and raping children with almost no accountability, that actually is biblical. When you see Harvey Weinstein fall from grace and be committed behind bars for what will be the rest of his waking life, for abusing the power of his platform to rape women and destroy the careers of anyone who spoke up, that is actually biblical. If forgiveness is a biblical concept, so are things being revealed. I mean, because what would be the alternative? Allowing them to keep raping in secret with no accountability? The Catholic Church has been engaged in the rape and exploitation of children since its existence, which means they have been raping for centuries. Nothing else has stopped this abusive pattern except the revelations and subsequent accountability that we are seeing today. Same with Harvey Weinstein. His first rape victim was in the 1990s. For over three decades, Harvey Weinstein raped women. No one listened to his accusers before the Me Too movement. In fact, Hollywood enabled it. They protected him. In Pastor Andy Stanley's tweet, he states, end quote, canceling an individual or group produces nothing, end quote. Well, that does not appear to be the case. Harvey Weinstein was publicly shamed by each and every one of his accusers. He lost his position and his business. He was finally brought before the courts and placed behind bars. So guess who is not raping anymore? That guy. Same with the Catholic Church. From the outcry of public condemnation, thousands of clergymen were turned into police and about 25% were criminally convicted. While we still have a long way in regards to accountability, it was a public shaming that brought it this far. And I challenge anyone who is more scared over a culture of accountability rather than the victimization of people who are permanently scarred by the heinous actions of the powerful. If you were a victim of the circumstances which I just mentioned above, would you want society to invent words that shift the focus from accountability and justice to centering the perpetrator? Probably not, right? Then why are we doing it to the victims now? Think on that. But going back to Andy Stanley's statement, End quote, canceling an individual or group produces nothing while undermining a fundamental catalyst for progress, namely the unfiltered exchange of ideas, opinions, and insight without the necessity of anyone always being right, end quote. 
But during the civil rights movement, what do you think the Montgomery bus boycott was? Even though our constitution guaranteed that, in quote, all men were created equal, end quote, the white community wholly disagreed with this notion in their actions. Racists ensured that public facilities that should be available to all persons, like public transportation, degraded black communities to largely keep them from using this public good that they paid for with their tax dollars, or if they did use the facility, that they had to experience a humiliation in doing so. Let's pause here for a second. Was the degradation of the black community at the hands of the white community a mere, end quote, unfiltered exchange of ideas, opinions, and insight, end quote? Can we water down the racial terrorism that the black community endured to a mere, end quote, the white community just had a different opinion about blacks? Did they? Is that what it was when they lynched us? Just a mere difference of opinion in the treatment of one's humanity? Really? I think not, and I think a good many people would think not too. James Baldwin, the prominent civil rights activist and writer stated, in quote, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist, end quote. So essentially, racism is not a mere difference of opinion that we simply need to sit down and exchange ideas on. Absolutely not, and we shouldn't treat it as such. It is a danger to society, a literal sin against God for those who are religious, and the only thing there is to do with such a deadly cancer is to root it out of society completely. So what did my ancestors do when their humanity was being degraded? They boycotted the institutions that lowered their humanity. They made sure that cameras were there to shine a mirror. It is literally one of the most famous boycotts in America. Why? Because it was successful. So when Pastor Stanley states that these tactics, end quote, undermine a fundamental catalyst for progress, end quote, well, not in this case. Actually, the Montgomery bus boycott was the catalyst that caused change. Because once the black community boycotted the public transportation, the bus system saw a steep decline in profits. And because money mattered more to them than even their own racism or the humanity of those they degraded, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that segregation on public buses was unconstitutional. So just as my ancestors did, if I want to boycott and lead a mass boycott of institutions that discriminate against the LGBTQIA community because these institutions do not want to treat members of the community with dignity and respect, then I'm walking in the truth of my ancestors. It is not cancel culture. It is human rights. No, it is not just a difference of opinion to discriminate against this community. Doing so makes the entire society unsafe. And the last thing I'm going to do is help to fund your bigotry. And again, our focus should not be on my response against discrimination. The focus should be on why an individual or organization feels the need to weaponize an institution through degrading a vulnerable group. And it is not lost on me that the loudest voices that are hollering cancel culture are members from the white community, mainly white males with money and power and privilege. But where were these voices when assassin bullets were murdering civil rights activists? Because although the white community will weaponize Dr. King's words that only speak about nonviolence and forgiveness while simultaneously doing everything to destroy his legacy, like banning his teachings in school, banning his books, stopping AP African studies to the harassment and marginalization of vulnerable groups, where were those voices then when he was assassinated? His assassination is an example of cancel culture. 
Dr. King is permanently canceled because he was murdered by a community that now weaponizes his words. Funny how we didn't see this term pop up until white men were held accountable. When people holler cancel culture, I always look to see which culture they are talking about because black, brown, and vulnerable communities have endured cancellation for years. And yet the only time I am hearing about the fear of being canceled began when powerful people began experiencing consequences. But I didn't hear this fear and outrage when Monica Lewinsky was publicly shamed and humiliated for having an affair with then-President Bill Clinton in the 1990s. Funny how the same white men who enjoyed, to a level no one should have to endure, the public daily humiliation of the then 22-year-old Monica, only to holler cancel culture now that they could possibly endure the same for their indiscretions. Although Monica Lewinsky is in fact still alive, she is permanently scarred with a scarlet letter for the affair. And that will never change. That is an example of canceling. Yet no one discussed the culture of it because they were too busy enjoying their blowjob jokes. So it leaves me to ask, who has actually been canceled? In 2018, the New York Times reported that only 200 people, mostly white men, were brought to justice during the height of the Me Too movement. Just a reminder, the male population in America stands at 162.4 million. So out of 162.4 million men, only 200 were brought down during the height of the Me Too movement. So please stop making it seem like everyone is just being taken down. Y'all really need to stop the mess. Even going further, there are about 5.3 million millionaires in the US and 770 billionaires. And since money can give you a lot of power in this country, 200 powerful people being held accountable out of 5 million powerful people is not even a drop in the bucket. It's not even significant enough to give it a term like cancel culture. So y'all can really just stop in making it seem like everyone is just out here getting canceled. Between the 200 people who faced accountability at the height of the Me Too movement, they had a combined total of 900 accusations against them. Think on that for a moment. The New York Times reported that they had double the accusations than there were people accused. That means everyone who was held accountable had an average of at least four accusers. This means that it took multiple accusations over a period of many years before any of the 200 faced accountability. As you all know, Tarana Burke founded the Me Too movement back in 2006. Though I think we have been ignoring the voices of the oppressed since the beginning of time, for a span of a decade, since the founding of the Me Too movement to when we started seeing people being held accountable in 2016, we ignored victims' voices. So I say all of this to disabuse anyone who claims that all of this accountability happened all of a sudden. This did not happen overnight. This did not happen because people were bored or looking for their 15 minutes of fame. This happened because the vulnerable grew tired of their exploitation at the hands of the powerful while the world turned a blind eye. Yet I have to mention, I never heard the term cancel culture being used when Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance and no NFL team would sign him after that. The NFL, which turns a blind eye to domestic violence, thought it was so much of a crime for Colin Kaepernick to protest the murder of black people during the national anthem that he has not been signed to a team since 2017. That to me would be an example of canceling, but the critics seem to be okay with this. And while Colin Kaepernick is silently banned, Bill Cosby was released from jail and has been walking around enjoying his life since 2021. 
This is after being accused of drugging and raping over 60 women. What about Fox News demagogue Bill O'Reilly? About six women have come forward and accused him of sexual harassment. There are videos of him showing aggression to staff creating a toxic work environment. Of his six accusers, he has paid one at least $13 million in a sexual harassment settlement. He claims that he was canceled, stating in a February 2021 excerpt, end quote, Look around. Cancel culture is now threatening the very sense of fairness and justice that was fought for to form America, end quote. Yes, you heard him right. Cancel culture is threatening fairness and justice in America. Not discrimination and racism, not the prison industrial complex, cancel culture. Well, where is Bill today this victim of cancel culture as he so claims? Well, his current net worth remains at $90 million as of 2023, and in 2020, Bill began hosting a radio show called Common Sense. He is also a contributor to New Nation and has his very own podcast called No Spin News that has about 500,000 listeners. So much for being canceled. How is this man suffering from cancel culture when he is still able to sling hatred from a large platform with millions of dollars in his pocket? What about Kevin Spacey? How is he doing these days? Pierce Morgan calls Kevin Spacey, in quote, the personification of cancel culture, end quote. Well, even with nine accusers between 2001 and 2013, three of them, to which have now died either through suicide or tragic circumstances, in July of this year, he was acquitted on all charges brought by his accusers. After the verdict was handed down, Spacey in his own words stated that there were, in quote, people right now who are ready to hire me the moment I am cleared of these charges in London, end quote. His current net worth as of 2023 stands at 110 million. So much for being canceled. What about Mike Lindell, the founder and CEO of MyPillow and most vocal Trump supporter? He stated, end quote, it was a massive, massive cancellation. We lost $100 million from attacks by the box stores, the shopping networks, the shopping channels. All of them did cancel culture on us, end quote. Well, that just sounds awful, doesn't it? I do wonder, though, what happened to make him experience such terror? Let's take a look, shall we? Because he is so diehard for Donald J. Trump, the twice-impeached, four-times-indicted former president who blessed us recently with a mugshot, he continues to spread conspiracy theories that the 2020 election was rigged and hacked by foreign hackers. He went a step further. Because he is so arrogant, Mike Lindell stated that he would give $5 million to any cybersecurity expert that was able to prove his claim wrong. And of course, one such person absolutely did. A data analytics software engineer named Robert Seidman was able to successfully debunk Mike Lindell's false election claims rather easily. And shocking to no one, without skipping a beat, Mike Lindell refused to pay up. So Robert Zeidman sued his lying ass, and the courts have ordered Mike Lindell to pay Zeidman the $5 million as promised. And the hits just keep coming. In October of last year, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Dominion voting systems, and yes, that Dominion voting systems who brought a suit against Fox News for their false election claims, forcing them into a settlement to the tune of $700 million. The Supreme Court is allowing Dominion voting systems lawsuit against Mike Lindell to move forward. They are suing Lindell for his false election claims to the tune of $1.3 billion. 
So I say all of this to remind everyone that as a result for the things I just mentioned, manufacturers like Bed Bath & Beyond and Kohl's dropped the MyPillow brand. They claimed they only did so because the company was underperforming. I suspect that with all of the lies that Mike Lindell told, our society stopped buying from a company that was nearly threatening our democracy and the peaceful transition of power. For those out there hollering cancel culture, are you telling me that we should keep making a liar richer with buying his products so that he can then turn around and use the money to spread lies from his very large platform and threaten our democracy? Yeah, no, we're not gonna do that. Until Mike Lindell acknowledges the many lies that he has told and the harm that it caused to companies, certain people, and our society, we do not wanna buy his product. But don't worry too much for him. Amazon, Walmart, and Costco all still sell MyPillow. And last I checked, Mike Lindell remains the CEO of MyPillow, so he has not lost either his position or platform. And you will be happy to learn that his estimated wealth in 2023 remains at $174 million. So the next time Mike Lindell, who is a known liar, hollers that cancel culture has ruined his life, please, please, please someone ask him how exactly when he still has the life he had before he began lying in an attempt to ruin our democracy. So now let's talk about what we may actually be seeing when people holler cancel culture. And from what I am seeing is an overall culture without grace and the enjoyment of a pile on. I have the privilege, and I do count it as a privilege, of speaking with a lot of people and being able to hear their true thoughts about some of the more controversial topics. And a lot of these conversations are in private because many are truly afraid of saying the wrong thing and that one thing changing their whole lives. And I have watched people online enjoy doing this. Instead of providing nuance and guidance to someone who may fall short, they are quick and from what it looks like, enjoy calling the person out and creating a pile-on situation. The public shaming does nothing but push a person who might have been reasoned with to withdraw or double down and no solution is gained and society is not closer to truth. And I suspect that some people do this so that they can look perfect in the moment or like they are the most enlightened on a topic. And like I said, we are all guilty of doing this, especially if you use social media. However, you are not enlightened if you believe that a person will always say the right things and be without fault and not make any mistakes. No one, not even you or me, can live to that high a bar and no one wants to. We give grace when we recognize our own imperfections and know that one day we will be the person making the mistake and thus we will want society to approach us with grace when we do. And we must acknowledge that like most things in society, especially movements, there are people that will weaponize accusations for either elevation or fame or to elude their own culpability. And sadly, we have seen that and it absolutely disgusts me. But I want to remind everyone that false accusations have existed since the beginning of time. If you are religious, then you know of the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. Essentially, he was the favorite child and his jealous brothers sold him into slavery and told their father that he was killed. He was sold to Potiphar, who at the time was an Egyptian official who reported to Pharaoh, and because of Joseph's work ethic, he was put in charge of Potiphar's household until he was sexually harassed by Potiphar's wife. She wanted Joseph to sleep with her and she would harass him day after day, trying to entice him into bed. Basically, she got tired of his refusals and accused Joseph of raping her, for which Potiphar had no choice but to throw him in prison where he remained for two years. 
In more modern times, I think about the 14-year-old child, Emmett Till, who was kidnapped, tortured, shot point blank in the head, fastened with a large metal fan and barbed wire, and drowned in the river, all because the lying white woman racist, Carolyn Bryant Dunham, lied and said he whistled at her, a claim she later admitted to a historian that she fabricated the whole thing. I know one of the most recent examples would be the relationship between Johnny Depp and his ex-wife Amber Heard. And for those who are not familiar with the story, essentially, Amber Heard wrote an essay in the Washington Post in December of 2018 about a past relationship that she had experienced sexual and domestic violence. While she does not name Johnny Depp in the op-ed, it was very clear she was alluding to his past behavior, causing him to file a lawsuit against her for defamation of character and the Fairfax County, Virginia Circuit Court found in favor of Johnny Depp on three counts in 2022. Now, while I believe that both Depp and Heard behaved incredibly abusive to each other and at times incredibly disturbing towards each other, Heard posited herself as a victim without detailing her full role in all the victimizing in the relationship that she had done. That's not great. However, how often does this happen compared to the multiple examples of those who have harmed others from the power of their platform? And as I just mentioned, Heard was sued in a court of law in order to pay restitution and has been shunned ever since. And although there is a video of Johnny Depp, a very drunk Johnny Depp, slamming shelves and screaming insults, Depp's career appears to be intact. He just released a new movie in May of this year called Jean de Barry, and his net worth remains at 210 million. So if our modern world is lacking grace, but in need of space for those to be held accountable, then I wonder if there is something out there that could help us with properly managing those who fall short. And so that leads me to want to know more about the restorative justice movement. Howard Sir, who is an American criminologist and distinguished professor at Eastern Mennonite University Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, is the founder of the restorative justice movement. This movement, which first appeared in the late 1970s, is defined as, in quote, a process to involve to the extent possible those who have a stake in a specific offense and to collectively identify and address harms, needs, and obligations in order to heal and put things as right as possible, end quote. This style of justice is used to, in quote, ensure that decision-making authority is in the hands of those most impacted by the offense, bring the pursuit of justice more in line with healing and transformation, and reduce the likelihood of future offenses, end quote. And frankly, I like where this movement is heading. But just like at the end of apartheid, how South Africa had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, notice how the restorative justice movement begins with truth. When you collectively identify and address harms, you are acknowledging the truth of the moment. You are essentially calling out the harm. When he mentions, in quote, those who have a stake in a specific offense, end quote, who is he speaking of? When a powerful person throws racism from their very large platform, the community has a stake in that offense. When a powerful person throws anti-Semitism from their platform, the Jewish community has a stake in that specific offense. When a powerful person throws misogyny from their platform, those who are feminine identifying have a stake in that specific offense. When a powerful person throws homophobia and transphobia from their platform, 
the LGBTQIA community has a stake in that specific offense. If a powerful person wants to ban all those who identify as Muslim or Arab from coming into our country, then the Arab and Muslim communities has a stake in that offense. So I give these examples to say we should not be shocked when a community who has a stake in a particular offense rises up collectively and calls that offense out. Where our focus should be is ensuring that people can live in a society where they feel the most safe. So how can we apply the restorative justice movement principles the next time someone makes an offense? Let's take a look at JK Rowling. For those who do not know, JK Rowling from the power of her Twitter platform essentially mocked the more inclusive terms, end quote, people who menstruate, end quote and basically wrote a whole blog post that she had concern with the increase in transgender children coming out as transgender. She called it a, in quote, contagion, fueled by social media, which is, yeah, trash and incredibly hurtful to children who have reached a place in our society where they feel safe enough to be who they are, only to have this white woman reduce the moment to a social media frenzy. And although JK Rowling does not care that her commentary was bigoted and hurtful, who has a stake in this particular offense? Well, certainly the transgender community, especially those who are children or parents to a transgender child. Her statements do not bring people together. They do not affirm the dignity of her fellow citizens. They push people into the margins, especially vulnerable children, and invite attacks upon their community. So who collectively identified the harm? The LGBTQIA community. But it wasn't just this community that spoke out. Everyone who believed J.K. Rowling's statements to be hurtful and bigoted spoke out against her words, including members of her Harry Potter cast like Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grine. They all represent the collective identity who is doing what they are supposed to do to speak out against a harm. And if J.K. Rowling can use the power of her platform to lower the dignity of an entire community that literally poses no threat to her, then they can use the power of their platform to call her out for it. And yes, you are absolutely allowed to choose not to support any more of her work. That is literally your right to do with your dollars as you see fit. If you feel hurt by her bigotry towards the lives of the transgender community, you have every right to invest your hard-earned dollars and time elsewhere with people that validate yours and others' existence. And do not let anyone make you feel bad about that. If J.K. Rowling is entitled to what she calls her opinion, an opinion, might I add, that was openly praised by the murderous demagogue Putin, then you are very much entitled to yours. And shocking to no one, as reported by CNBC.com, J.K. Rowling, who now has all the time to double down on oppression, was a part of 150 authors and academics who wrote this long letter denouncing Yep, and you guessed it, cancel culture. Because of all the important and pressing issues in America, this billionaire white woman feels that this is one of them because she received pushback for her bigotist statements against transgender children. And she went a step further, openly confirming that she felt free to say these things because even if the whole world boycotted her books for the rest of her time here on earth, she could still feed her kids because she was a billionaire. So she essentially finds herself in a privileged position because she believes she is untouchable. Does that sound like someone who has been canceled or should worry about cancel culture? 
She openly confirms she is not, but in the same breath hollers cancel culture. But what about the transgender community? The transgender community who have been subjected to all kinds of abuses, marginalization, they have been beaten, tortured, killed, and impoverished. They pose literally no damn threat to this billionaire white woman, but gets to enjoy hearing her say incredibly hurtful things from her very large platform. So why does JK Rowling holler cancel culture when even she herself admits that she is not in danger of being canceled? Because instead of the focus being on the accountability she is receiving, she has recentered the focus to her as a victim. And this is where she hopes the focus remains. She doesn't want a mirror shown on her denial of the existence of an entire community and reducing their existence to some media sensation. She wants to make everyone feel bad for calling her out for doing so. And here is a fun fact that I know you all will enjoy. Who are the main ones leading the boycotts against her work and holding her accountable for her words? Well, it is none other than the millennial generation and I could not be more proud of that fact. But don't worry, her net worth remains at $1 billion. She will be just fine. So now let's quickly touch on what accountability should never be. Remember, the goal of the restorative justice movement is supposed to be in line with healing and transformation. And I think holding someone accountable should follow this model. If you are using death threats, rape threats, disturbing tactics, bullying, etc., then this is not accountability and you need to be honest with yourself. I think Donald Trump and his criminal enterprise are a menace to our society and most definitely a threat to peace and democracy. And the Donald has done some absolutely cruel things that shake the conscious, which has led to the death of even children. But I don't want him dead. I don't want him assassinated or raped or anything like that. I want him held accountable for the many harms he caused society. And Trump may be an extreme example given how vile he is, but what about when someone powerful falls short with their actions and words? Ask yourself, for this awful comment, do I want the person to lose their whole life? Do I want them to be shamed to the point of suicide? What type of accountability do they need in the moment to bring about healing and transformation? A reminder that there are appropriate times for people to be removed from a large, powerful platform so that they do not cause further harm to themselves and others. Do you know how Germany moved on from Nazism? They canceled it and held those responsible for it accountable. How did America move on from slavery? They canceled it. How about Europe moving on from colonialism? They canceled it. This is nothing new, people. And for those walking around just scared to speak because they somehow believe that this disease of cancel culture will strike them next, well, one way you can avoid getting canceled, if that is even a real thing, is to stop being a racist, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, homophobic bigot and just do better. Literally, be fucking better. Not every hateful thought that comes to your mind needs to be said, especially if you have a large platform. Just be better and treat people with dignity. Think before you speak. And if something hurtful or problematic does come out of your mouth, because we've all fallen short and it will happen to the best of us eventually, grow and apologize. Yourself and our society will be better for it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Millennial Edition and I look forward to engaging with you all soon.